0: You're, you're, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Live at the studio of World Wide Sports Radio. All right, let's go. It is the third and long show. And here's your hosts, Maddie Caps and KT Hepburn.
1: And welcome everybody to a brand new show of Third and Long here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are live here in Hop Hog, New York. You got myself, Mr. Madicaps, along with my co-host, producer, friend, confidant, Mr. Speedy Petey it's here as well. first time you've called me well. that in a while. Uh, you know, it, it's been a little while, but we have <laughs> Speedy Petey here as well. That's
2: true, I forgot you were out all
1: week. <laughs> yeah, no, what do you mean all week? We were here Monday. Last week, uh, last uh, week uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, last week. We, well, right. we were there Monday, but yes, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we were, we were out last week as I was in Florida. Right. But now, ladies and gentlemen, you got myself again, Mr. Maddie Capsule alone with uh, Speedy Petey here, and we have a bunch of stuff to talk about because guess what? The Super Bowl is right around the corner. We have that this Sunday between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Joe Montana Bowl. The Joe Montana Bowl. He was sending out some funny tweets. He's like, I guarantee my team wins (laughs) and stuff like that. He was was very funny. We also are going to talk a little bit about Dusty Baker becoming the Houston Astros manager. I'm sure Speedy has a bunch to say about that, so we're going to get into that. And then, of course, ladies and gentlemen, the Kobe Bryant and all that uh, somber, solemn stuff along with the tragic, tragic death of Kobe Bryant and what kind of legacy he le- he leaves on the game of basketball. We're going to talk about his most memorable games. I'm going to talk about five of his most memorable games. We're going to get into that and I'm going to hear what Speedy has to say as well. But let's get into it right now. Speedy, how are you today? How are things? How's life? What's going on? I
2: mean, it's pretty normal right now. I mean, it's... Interesting having to host yesterday with The Beef, I'll say that. That was definitely a surprise. Uh, home stretch. Tyler, was expected. And he was uh, So, the, like so the Beef
1: stayed for two shows yesterday. He
2: did. He, well, he, he stayed for half of Homestretch. Okay. It was just kind of all surprising. It was scrambling around. You didn't do your show. Then, it, then Steve didn't come in. So it was, it was tough having to scramble around. Everything beyond that, though, was pretty normal. And here I am again. just Living the dream. Pretty much
1: living a dream. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into it first, and we're going to still talk about the the tragic passing of Kobe Bean Bryant because this hit home to a lot of people. And I understand where everybody is coming from. There's been some backlash from ignorant people that just don't get it. Vanessa Bryant, the wife of Kobe, lost her her daughter and lost her husband. I don't even want to fathom or think about what she's going through. Right now, because I I can't even think about what she's going through right now.
2: Anyone who's criticizing her for not speaking, you would do the same
1: thing. I I wouldn't even speak for the next next year. I wouldn't say a word about anything and and just deal with everything that's going on. But I give her a lot of credit for what she's going through and how she's dealing with it. So, again, Vanessa Bryant, my, my thoughts and my prayers are with you and the entire Bryant family, I, I definitely feel for the three daughters and everything going forward. But Speedy, I, I, I know we talked about this on Monday for a little while and stuff, but I, I, I tend to forget. How how do you feel about this type of situation right now with Kobe Bryant? And let, let, Let's get right into it. What kind of legacy do you think this leaves on the game of basketball?
2: Well, it's a, a huge one for sure just because Kobe meant so much to – So many players, so many coaches that he was with throughout his career. Obviously, he played against a lot of them, too. And just the franchises in general, you see the impact it had. And I mentioned this Monday, too. I would say if you were to poll people last week among current NBA players, 90% of them, I would imagine, would have Kobe Bryant as a primary influence. And, again, some maybe even more than that as one of, the, one of their influences, even if it wasn't their primary guy that got them into the game. He was an influence in some way to everybody. And I remember what I what I told you. Don't be surprised if guys start giving up their numbers. And you're seeing that Well, now.
1: you're seeing it, but you're also seeing guys get his number. Joel Embiid last night scored 24 points, and he was wearing the number 24 well, for Philadelphia at home, right. where, where Kobe Bean Bryant basically grew up when he moved back mm. from Italy. Because let's be real here. Kobe Bryant played professional in Italy ever since he was like 12 years old. Right. And, and then he moved back to Philly, went to Lower Merion High School, and the rest is just history. Right,
2: and props to the Sixers, too. They also had all the uh, players in warm-ups wearing mm-hmm. and 24 as well. That was a really classy gesture. So you're just seeing the impact across the league. And like I said, even teams that were competitively victimized by Kobe Bryant, either in the NBA Finals or in the playoffs, the Sixers being one of them with Allen Iverson when he was there in 2001, I think it was.
1: And when he did that famous step over over Tyron Liu if they're hitting that big shot in the corner.
2: Right. So teams like that even again Western Conference opponents, the Spurs, the Nuggets, the Blazers, etc. just the whole league is really doing a great job just dedicating all this all their games all this week really to the legacy that Kobe Bryant left on, the influence he had on their team as it stands right now. Their team as it was built then, just you had to prepare for him. He was You mentioned it on Monday. He's as fierce of a competitor as you can get in any sport. And his legacy from a basketball standpoint really has shown throughout the league. And I think the NBA has really done a great job. And the players have done a great job. They know how much somebody like Kobe Bryant really meant to them as a whole. And you look at basketball as a whole with his daughter, too. I think Kobe was doing a great job after his retirement really expanding the sport of basketball for women getting more women to watch uh, because of his daughter and WNBA really helping out the college women's basketball really helped out because of Kobe and his daughter as a whole, that influence and really just doing a great job as a whole for all sports too just, he is improving the popularity everywhere, not just the NBA, but other all over the world, other professional leagues all over the world, other sports Um, just really Kobe Meant a lot to a lot of those people.
1: Regardless of his past, and yeah, people are gonna still and people are ignorant and bring up his rape case that got dropped and the civil suit. Regardless of all that, Kobe Bryant was an ambassador to the NBA. He was cared for. He was a great husband and father to his girls. He uh, he loved Vanessa very much. I, I mean, listen, there's not a lot you can say about Kobe being Bryant. Actually, yes, there is a lot you can say about him. he He was just a remarkable, in my opinion, a remarkable, remarkable uh, basketball player, a remarkable human being. He's just done so much for the game to increase the game of basketball. So it can be all over the world, from Zimbabwe down in Africa to to Mexico. It, it wants to be a global game and Kobe Bryant was part of this, and he will always, always, always be a part of the NBA and what he's done for the game. His legacy is just going to, it's going to leave a mark for the game of basketball. He left a mark for the game of basketball. And there's, there's, you could think about definitely, there's definitely defining moments for his legacies. And again, I'm going to talk about five, five of his, uh, memorable games of his NBA career that we're going to talk about but his legacy the way he touched all the NBA players now you saw what the NBA did you saw what the teams did with the shot clock violations with the eight second violations you saw everybody wearing shirts you saw you saw teams switching numbers Spencer Dinwiddie is now not wearing number 28 anymore. He's wearing number 26. Guys are changing their numbers. Trey Young wore number uh, 82 in memory of Kobe Bryant. Joel Embiid scored 24 points, I think, last night. Wore number 24 in memory of Kobe Bryant. This is the type of legacy Kobe Bryant has left on the game. Kobe Bryant might go down, actually is going to go down, as one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Of course, we know Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. There's no, in my opinion, there's no questions asked. And again, I'm going to say this: Kobe Bryant is the closest player we've seen to Michael Jordan in in, ever. I haven't seen a closer player. Speedy, have you seen a closer player that mimics Michael Jordan?
2: His style of play. Yeah, his style of
1: play the way he shoots it when he gets the ball on that high elbow, when he gets the ball in the paint, when he gets the ball 15 to 17 feet. There's not a lot of people that could do what what Kobe Bryant can do. And and he, he has done so much for the game of basketball. And it, it, it's just a tragic, tragic shame of what happened to him and his daughter Gigi, who... Again, Gigi was even honored by the Yukon Huskies. She had a dream to go play for Gino Arema. They left a Yukon number 2 jersey on the end of the bench with flowers and stuff. I I mean, Gigi was going to be a superstar because of her father, the way her father trained her and all that stuff. It it, it is just a sad tragic situation. And now there was new reports coming out about Kobe Bryant and that tragic helicopter train uh plane crash and they apparently didn't have a machine in the helicopter that could tell you, like the density of the fog and stuff and everything. They were missing something very important in that helicopter, and he still took off. It, I, I the, the more the stories come out, the more I just, it, it's just disheartening, and it's just, I still don't want to believe it. I wake up every morning that I'm just in a dream, like I just don't want to believe what happened to Kobe Bean
2: Bryant. Now, was it a company helicopter? Where they had the machines in one general location, or was it I'm something not a, specific to his helicopter, just his helicopter?
1: I'm not, I'm not her, I'm not her, uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure of uh, of what it, um, what they were missing, or what kind of, what kind of, uh, if it was a company, I, I it's, it's obvi- obviously a company that he rents from for okay. to, to get places. So I, I, I'm not 100% sure of where all this, um, what was the company name and, and, and all this stuff. So I would have to do more research into the Kobe Bryant situation and to figure out what, what kind of company it was, what, what kind of machine what, was it uh, happening. I mean, it, it's, again, it, it, it's just crazy to even think about this, I wouldn't. Uh, and again, I I'm lost for words at times, just thinking about Kobe Bryant and his family and his w- and his wife, Vanessa, and, and and all this stuff. I I I'm just a loss for words. But Speedy, you think that he left a big legacy on the game? Am I right?
2: Absolutely, and I think he just left it on just all sports in general. I don't think it's just the NBA. I
1: think he. Really well, you did. saw it. You saw it from Neymar at PSG. You saw it from tennis guys warming up in his jersey and mm-hmm. stuff. He he has left right. a huge mark
2: like in said, all of sports. Like I said, women's basketball, uh, international basketball, Olympics athletes. Uh, Tiger Woods even came out something I'm sure other golfers did too after after their uh, their tournament. The NFL you saw those guys at the Pro Bowl that that teared up when they found out because they were playing in the game at the time and they teared up when they found out those that news. They all the fans are all chanting. It really it shows the impact just both nationally and globally that he had and even in non-sports stuff too even just in, in business he had a lot of international people he was investing with and he really did it he really worked hard at expanding his investing brand where he knew a lot of people internationally, too. And he said he was trying to be a great businessman in addition to being a basketball player and obviously the unbelievable father that he is to his daughters.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's the whole thing. He, he was a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable uh, father to his daughters. But let's get into it right now, Speedy. And one of the things I want to talk about... Actually, you know what? Yeah, I want to get into it right now. I don't even want to go to break. I want to talk about... The five most memorable games of Kobe Bryant's NBA career. And look, Kobe Bryant transcended the game of basketball. Okay, he entered, he entered it. Uh, he entered the NBA in 1996. And he provided highlight after highlight after highlight up until his retirement in 2016. And you look at it. I'm going to start with this game. 65-point game on March 16th, 2007, versus the Portland Trailblazers. What he did there against the Trailblazers at the Staples Center. And this was right after Bryant uh, came close to reaching the career-high 81 points just over a year earlier. And we're going to talk about that 81-point game a little later. The Superstar Guard lit up the the, uh, Portland Trailblazers with 65 points. As the Lakers won that game, 116 to 111. And what's even more, more shocking to me about that is his shooting percentage, his free throw percentage, his three-point percentage. He shot 23 of 39 from the field, 11 of 12 from the free throw line, and he also made eight three-pointers that game. That is something you don't ever see, really, ever. Okay, and now... Oh, I just got an update that Dusty Baker has agreed to become the new manager of the Astros, so we will be talking about that a little later. Um, Nate Nick, Nick McMillan was the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers at that time, and when when you see what, uh, what the stuff he had to say about that, and following the heartbreaking news, the now Indiana Pacers head coach told reporters, He's seen Kobe Bryant firsthand talking about this game. He lit them up. He says he remembers he was shooting threes and he was on fire, and we had him in a trap. We had him deep in the corner. He had nowhere to go. He should have passed the ball. He's facing his bench and he just turns and shoots it, and it goes in. He really became like Michael Jordan in the sense that when you watched him play, could he do this all again? Could he create the magic again in the fourth quarter? And guess what? Kobe Bryant did that in the fourth quarter. Speedy, do you remember that game at all, the the 65-point oh, game? Oh seven. Oh, 7 No, when... I think
2: that was before I started watching, because basketball I got into later. The two playoff games that I remember him really defining were uh, the Nuggets won the Western Conference Finals. I think it was game three. That was when Carmelo like Anthony was there. Yeah, that Western Conference Finals. The Nuggets dominated the whole game except for guarding Kobe. Kobe really carried that Lakers team in that game. I think he had 47 points or something like that. And the Nuggets were defending him well. He just hit every tough shot imaginable. And then I think that same year, the, the NBA Finals against the Celtics. Because, again, you and I are both Knicks fans. We couldn't stand the Celtics, especially that big three. And Hated the big three. Right. And Kobe, again, pretty much single-handedly – Beat them. Beat them, too. A team that talented. They had depth, too. It wasn't just the big three. They had depth players that were very good, too. And Kobe just really making all those tough shots in that game, too. Those are really the two, I think, memorable ones. Well,
1: well, here's another one that I'm sure you remember. February 2nd, 2009, at Madison Square Garden, he decided to drop 61 (laughs) points in one of Bryant's greatest performances that he's ever had at the world's most famous arena, in New York. The Black Mamba posted 61 points, which was a venue record for a visiting player against the Knicks who lost 126 to 117 to the Lakers. 19 of 31 shooting, Bryant finished with 3 assists in 1 block. He scored 34 points in the first half alone in route to the record, which was obviously matched by James uh, by James Harden in 2019. And then you hear Lamar Odom, who was his teammate at the time, say, tonight was one of the nights he kind of showed why he's going to go down in history. And Lamar Odom could not have said it any better. Tonight is going to show why he's going to go down in Laker history and let alone NBA history. You go to the mecca of basketball. You go to Madison Square Garden, the world's Most prestigious arena, and you dropped 61 points on the New York Knicks.
2: Imagine how many fans were there that weren't even Knicks fans just wanted wanted to go see
1: Kobe Bryant Uh in in 2007. Um, And then this is another one game, uh, another game, Speedy, but this happened in 2005. It was against your Dallas Mavericks, though. In 2005, he dropped 62 points, and he did that in three quarters. He dropped 62 points in three quarters. Damn. That that that's all he needed to embarrass the Mavericks. Kobe Bryant outscored the Dallas Mavericks alone, sixty-two to sixty-one at the end of the third quarter. Wow, that's sixty-two insane. to sixty-one. This happened obviously in Los Angeles, and the Lakers eased to victory, one twelve to ninety. But he dropped sixty-two points in three quarters.
2: <laughs> imagine, if he, imagine if he played the fourth, he could have broken his own record.
1: <laughs> and in two thousand five, the Dallas Mavericks were a top three team in the West. They were one of the best teams that season, and they went on to go reach the NBA Finals before losing to the Miami Heat and Dwayne Wade and Shaq. But However, the Mavericks were schooled by the unstoppable Kobe Bryant, who shot 18 of 31 from the field, 22 of 25 from the free throw line, and he sat out the entire fourth quarter. 62 points in three quarters. And, and,
2: looking at another 80 if he played the fourth. That's another crazy. 80. He
1: probably could have scored 90 if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kobe Bryant said it was just one of those nights where he felt hot as, as as he just sat back and reflected on the game. And he even said it, Speedy. It's funny you said that. Yes, I could have scored 80 points that night. It sounds funny to say, but yes, I could have.
2: Oh, look at the pace. Uh, 82 points and or uh, 62 points in three quarters. That's Yeah, that's a pace of – yeah, we would get to eighty. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I again, that that's just unbelievable on what he did. I forgot he did that in three quarters. I forgot he did that, and and that's just something that you don't ever, ever see, ever. When, when was the last time we saw something like that,
2: Speedy? Sixty-two in three quarters. Yeah, I, I, not nothing that came, comes to mind for me. I know Steph Curry did 50 in three quarters, but not 60.
1: (laughs) It's it's just remarkable. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into the two most memorable games of Kobe Bean Bryant's career. And one of them is the 60-point farewell game against the Utah Jazz, April 13th, 2016, and that game was just replayed on Monday right. night. I watched, that in ga- I watched that full game in entirety, and he started off like 0 for 6, okay? But Kobe Bryant bid farewell to the game of basketball, in the only way he knew how, with an exclamation mark, it was, it was a true Hollywood goodbye as Kobe Bryant capped a career spanning two decades by scoring 60. Final game points in a 196 victory over the Utah Jazz at the Staples Center. That was something. Bryant drained 23 points in the fourth fourth quarter, posting his first 50 point game since February 2009. Kobe Bryant had this to say: "It was hard to believe it happened this way. He played 42 minutes, where he was only supposed to play like 20 28. Oh, that whole season, I think yeah. he was
2: only he was limited as it is because they wanted him to finish the whole. But he season. did
1: take an attempted a career high 50 shots." At which he was shocked about. He didn't expect to take 50 shots, and he obviously said the perfect ending would be a championship. But tonight was just trying to go out, play hard, and try to put on a show as much as I possibly could. It felt good to be able to do that one last time. I watched that game, and Gordon Hayward was an uh, was an all star at that time with the way he was playing that was last the game. Year there, yeah. With the way he was playing, and then Mike well, no, Tur- no, second, Mike Torico, who shouldn't never open his mouth. Didn't uh, This week, he actually uh, called out um, Gordon Haywood, and Gordon Haywood put him basically in, back in his seat and said, if I let Kobe Bryant score 60 points on me, he would have zero respect for me. I would never let a man score on me if I could. That's if, easier said than done, it, it, yeah. Exactly, but <laughs> if, if that doesn't put Mike Tirico, who was a little skeptical about Kobe Bryant going on for 60 that night, if that doesn't put him back in his seat, I don't know what else does. That's fair,
2: but Gordon Hayward isn't exactly the best defensive player either.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he was still an all-star at that time. He was still playing very good basketball before his ankle uh, ankle broken injury the following season. Like he he was still playing at a high high level for the Utah Jazz.
2: I remember the, the that game too was the same day as the the Warriors were going for win number seventy three. So it was both games were at the same time. It was simulcast, and I remember. I was in college at that time. I was busy. I had some paper to write. I think at the end of the year, and I was simulcasting both those games. But the Warriors got up so big that at this point, you just focused on Kobe. Kobe, it was that was it. That, that was the player you wanted to see one final time. And that was that was a memorable, memorable game. You you could just tell the Staples Center crowd was really electric that night. You're right. He started off a little rusty, but. We knew it was Kobe's night. We knew something special was going to happen, and that was some special game, and some special night in the NBA for sure.
1: Uh, one hundred percent. It 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 was very 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 special that night. Um, and now you look at it. Here we go. The final game that he put an exclamation point on. Eighty-one points, January twenty-second, two thousand six. The highlight of a stellar career and the night Bryant threatened to surpass Will Chamberlain. He played 1,346 NBA games leading up to this, but he was well and truly in the zone against Jalen Rose and the Toronto Raptors, scoring 81 points, just 19 shorts of Chamberlain's legendary 100-point outing in 1962. Bryant produced 48 minutes of pure brilliance to lead the Lakers past the Raptors 122-104. to 104. It was a display of his efficiency, as Bryant outbursts, he shot sixty percent from the floor and fifty-three percent from the from the arc, from beyond the arc. Who would have ever thought that Kobe Bryant would be able to do this type of game? And, and and if you want me to read the box score to this game of the LA Lakers alone, Smush Parker had thirteen points that game. Chris MIM had twelve that game. <laughs>
2: Who is that? I don't the
1: center from the University of Texas Longhorns back in, like, 2001 or something, he came out. Seven-foot seven white dude. Lamar Odom had eight. Kwame Brown had three. And then the bench, Sasa Vujicic, had three. <laughs> Jeez. And Brian Cook had two. Kobe Bryant was 81 points. He was plus-minus, plus 25. He was just on another level that game with the way he shot the basketball 7 to 13 from 3 28 of 46 from the field 18 to 20 from the free throw line he still had six boards two assists three steals one block I mean if that game isn't a staple of Kobe Bryant's career I don't know what is a staple of his career
2: I remember hearing about that when I was young because I was I think 10 years old at that time when that happened I was I remember because I was in the car I was I think I was going to one of my brother's baseball games at a further location from my house and we were listening to the sports radio and we're hearing hearing about that when it happened I'm like
0: 81
2: points because I thought that was unheard of because I knew about Wilt Chamberlain at that time and how good his records were but I didn't think anyone today could even get close to 60 or 50 points at that time and he got 81. And then I, after, on Sunday when all this was going down, I actually watched the highlights. I think it was either NBA Facebook page or Twitter page, something they were showing every basket from that game. They're actually, The funny part is, I didn't even realize this, they were actually trailing most of the game, the Lakers. Oh, yeah. I think they only took the lead early in the fourth quarter. and then. But Kobe was just that good amidst all that. He had a lot of dunks. Like you said, three steals. I think he had a lot of fast break points so many tough shots so many corner threes that were very difficult he was just phenomenal with and he every single type of shot you could shoot in a basketball game kobe made in that game it was absolutely insane that record again second to all time obviously to wilt chamberlain's 100 which i don't think that'll ever be broken and you could tell with with kobe he could shoot anything if you gave him A one-handed shot. If you gave him a left-handed shot, that was really impossible. You could tell that on that particular night, and maybe a lot of other ones too, that he could make a shot like that. That was really something. Well, that's the whole thing. Seeing all the shots in that game. Absolutely. All the types of shots.
1: He was just in another zone that game, and you were able to see what he was doing. And it it was just something that we may never be able to see again on uh, uh, the display on what he's done going forward. But Speedy, we're going to step away a little bit from Kobe Bryant, ladies and gentlemen, and we are going to go to a quick break. And when we do come back from break, we do have some breaking news regarding the Houston Astros. We're going to get into that when we come back here at the Worldwide
0: Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You, you are listening to the third and long show. And here's your hosts, Matty Caps and KT Hepper.
1: 1-845-478-3272 is the number to reach us here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You got myself, Mr. Maddie Caps, along with my co-host and producer, Mr. Speedy PD here as well, with some breaking news for all the listeners who haven't known, but this has been an ongoing story in Major League Baseball. I'm going to step away from the Astros, uh, cheating allegations and sign stealings and all that good stuff. Dusty Baker has been named the new manager of the Houston Astros. And Speedy, I ask you this. What, do you, what kind of move do you think this is for Houston? And what kind of move do you think this is for Dusty Baker? Because if you want me to be honest, I love this move for Dusty Baker. And I love this move for the Houston Astros. Really? Love it.
2: I don't like it. Why? Here's why. If the Astros are going to try to repair their image or try to create a new one, I think...
1: Why not have a guy that's old school?
2: I don't think that's who they are, though. I don't think they are old school.
1: Well, you just said they want to change their image, right? They need to do something different and going old school and getting away from A.J. Hinch's Bad stench that he left with the cheating and stuff. I I, I don't understand how, See, how this is a bad I move. I
2: don't think it's an image like that. Here's the thing with the Astros, the way they are and the way they've what they've become. I look at the Astros right now, and they're going to have to hope that certain factors will happen for them to be able to compete throughout the year. Obviously, the players all obviously not getting suspended, which I still think will happen at some point. So you
1: think someone's going to get suspended like Altuve or yeah, Bregman? I think, like
2: I said many times, they're going to find more evidence on which players specifically did it, and at that point, I think they will end up being suspended. Fair. Now, here's the problem with that. I, I think, obviously, in a best-case scenario, the Astros on paper are still a, a competitive team. They're not going to be as good, but they're going to be competitive. Dusty Baker, for one thing, is the anti- analytics guy because he is very old school he managed for a long time in the 90s and into the 2000s he's a
1: great manager
2: here's the problem i have with it though the astros built up these players through the analytics they built up the players through advanced concept based stuff that's why i say they rebirth pitchers very well dusty baker has been a guy that it seems like The game has passed him by. Even though he managed just recently with the Nationals, it just seems like the game has passed him by. And the other problem with this too is, while he has a winning record in his managerial career, if the Astros for some reason do get into the postseason, he's not a good playoff manager. He made one World Series with the Giants back in '02. They lost to the Angels. But look at the Cubs teams in the mid-2000s that were very talented. Well, well Look well, at the Reds teams let's, at the start of this decade. Let's they talk right now. Talented.
1: He's agreed to a two-year deal to become the manager. He's 70 years old. He's, he becomes the oldest manager in major leagues. Um, he last managed the Nationals in 2017. He ranks 15th among all-time wins with a eight, 1,863 and 1,636 record over 22 seasons. That includes a National League pennant with the San Francisco Giants in 2002. Okay, You look at this right now, and since 2018, Baker, a three-time National League Manager of the Year, has served a, as a special advisor to Giants CEO Larry Baer, working in both baseball and business operations of the club. So you look at this right now. He's obviously replacing A.J. Hinge, okay, who was fired with the general manager, Lanau, by, uh, by the owner, Jim Crane, on January 13th, so not too long ago. This was two, two right, weeks ago, right. really. Okay. And you look at this move right now. Dusty Baker, I think, could be the answer to just, for two years, just to get these guys away and get them back to prosperity again. Who, who, who would you like to see? in a Houston Astros uh, dugout. Who who would maybe want to even take that job with all the stuff that's going on in Houston?
2: Well, that's why I said it was good for him. I think him taking the job makes sense on his end. I think he still wanted to manage again. He loves the game. I just think, in terms of the fit, I think the game passed him by a while ago, and like you were saying, he's more old school. Now, again, you... He did work in a front office position with the Giants, but let's not forget the Giants are still kind of that old-school team too. The way they won wasn't really as analytic-driven as we've seen other past champions. 2010, 2012, they weren't – it wasn't as prominent in the game yet. And obviously 2014, they won with pitching and slap hitting and base-running defense, anything like that, things that go against – The primary basis is with analytics. A lot of the players were older, too. So I don't really judge that organization as something that he's really grown into that. And the Astros, for the most part, are a younger team, too. So I don't really know if that's a good fit. Plus, like I said, not a good postseason manager if they do somehow make it in. I don't know if they will. We'll see on if the players get suspended or not. And he's had trouble in the playoffs with really talented teams. Those Cubs teams were very good. Cincinnati yeah, Reds but, at the start but, of this yeah, decade, but, they were a good team. But, that, but, really that, good but those they, Cubs
1: teams in 2003 through 2006, I'll give you that one year with Moises Alou. With that, with that catch in left field by, by the fan or whatever. I'll give you that one year, because that year was that 2004, right?
2: That
1: was 2003. Uh, that, was, so that was his rookie season, basically, with, with the Chicago Cubs managing. Because he did do the Giants from 1993 to 2002, and then he went to the Cubs right after. So it was his first season with the Cubs. Right, but those are really
2: season. talented teams.
1: That will be the one team I'll give you that uh, Dusty Baker should have done a better job with that 2003 team because that 2003 team was set to break the curse. Even though the curse was eventually broken, that, that, that team was set to break the curse that
2: year. But with they the had team many they other had. chances after that, too. And that team was really good. They had pitching with Kerry Wood, with Mark Pryor. They got Greg Maddox later on. They had Sammy Sosa
1: in 2003. Sam,
2: Sammy Sosa, Derek Lee, Aramis Ramirez. That was a really good team. Well,
1: keep in mind, they had some injuries, though, that year, too. Kerry Wood missed because of injuries. Uh, what's his name? Mark Pryor missed of injuries. I'm not talking
2: about just 03, though. I'm talking about 03, 06, 07. There were many different but I'm, but chances I'm saying, that yeah. he had. That team was really good, and they couldn't get anything going. Now, part of that could be the Cubs' curse mantra. That's fair. But again, part of that is him, too. And then I look at the Reds. That was a really talented team. Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips, Scott Rowland, they brought in that year, who was really. And they good. lost
1: an the NLDS, right, that year?
2: Right. They. they they lost to. Let me think. Yeah, they lost to the Phillies. The Phillies were a talented team too. So, yeah, I mean that, but they were also getting older. They lost some players. Two thousand
1: seven. Well. Didn't the Phillies go to the World Series in two thousand? No,
2: no. This was twenty ten.
1: Twenty ten. Twenty ten. Sorry. Two thousand
2: seven. He was still managing the Cubs, but that was another really talented team. They lost to the Dodgers, and I think they were a better team at that time than the Dodgers were. So I look at it like that, and he just has been with so many really good rosters. And they, he didn't win a playoff series, I think, besides one with the Cubs in any of those teams. The Nationals, they didn't win a playoff series. The Reds, they had a lot of talented players. They had a talented pitching rotation, too. They didn't win a playoff series. They still had a Raldis Chapman at that time as well, closing. Johnny Cueto, when he was an ace, they had a lot of good players on, the, on that Reds team, too. And they didn't win a playoff series. And the Nationals, all the talent they had, they didn't win a playoff series. He's not a good playoff manager. And... F- for this kind of team, that's young, more analytic driven, a front office that's very analytic driven, I don't like the fit at all.
1: Well, yeah, he he has an under five hundred play uh, playoff uh, postseason record. He's twenty three and thirty two uh, from nineteen ninety three to two thousand two with the Giants in the postseason. He was eleven and thirteen with that Cubs team and from two thousand three to two thousand six. He was six and six um, from two thousand eight to two thousand thirteen. He was two and seven. And then with the Nationals, he was four and six in the playoffs. So it's showing that he does have some cracks and whatnot when it comes to postseason success. But to sit there and not think that he could be the answer for the Houston Astros who, let's be real here, they're a talented team regardless. If nobody gets suspended or whatnot, that's a 100-win team for the past three years or two years, whatever it was, am I right? How many of you, for the past two or three seasons, right? They've won hundred plus know if games. They were
2: hundred wins in eighteen, but definitely their World Series year and last
1: year they were. So okay, well, whatever. I I, I, th- I think for the past three years they've been a hundred win, hundred win team. If no one gets suspended, Dusty Baker could very well lead this team to postseason postseason success.
2: I mean, one could Better, hope, what, are, what are
1: the managers out there? You still never answered. Who would you want to see in the dugout then for the Houston Astros? Who do you think would would have been the right guy for the Houston Astros to hire?
2: It's the same guy I mentioned for the Mets. That's the Nationals' bench coach, uh, Bogar. I think when you look at the situation, you look at the Nationals, what they were in last year. Nobody expected that team to go anywhere because they lost Bryce Harper. That's a guy that worked with a lot of new players, a lot of veteran guys, a lot of people, a lot of guys that. People thought their career were over, never thought they would have the season that they did. I mean, the Nationals had the talent with the pitching staff, but didn't have it with the bullpen, and we didn't think didn't have it with the hitters, and he did a great job with that. The Astros are probably going to have to go through a lot of that if their players do get suspended. I think if they have to bring in new talent, because the Astros' front office, like I said, they always try to find the gems. They make good trades. They look for those pitching gems that works. Now they lost Garrett Cole, obviously. They might sign or trade for somebody. I think that kind of guy that dealt with that kind of adversity throughout the year, we saw, obviously, Dave Martinez was the manager, but he helped out with that, too, dealing with all the the adversity, the underdog mentality that the Nationals had throughout the year. And I think with all the different player types that they have and all the different player types that the Astros had there, I think he would have been a good fit for them. And similarly, in terms of strengths and weaknesses of their team, they're pretty similar, the Nationals and the Astros. The only difference is the Nationals were a slightly older team, but... In terms of the strengths with the pitching staff, in terms of the strength with the mixture of different types of hitters, and an iffy bullpen, their strengths are very similar. And then the circumstances, obviously the Nationals didn't cheat, but they had an underdog mentality the whole way. And the Astros, if they're going to try to succeed this year, they're going to succeed with all the pressure on them, too, to try to do this, and they're going to be underdogs as well and try to prove people wrong that maybe they can win without it. And I think that kind of mentality works for somebody like Bogar.
1: I don't think he was going to be the answer. This team, the Houston Astros, they need someone there um, who has the experience, managerial experience, who has been there before. That's why maybe Buck Showalter I think could have been a, a good replacement for A.J. Hinch. But to go the move with Dusty Baker, go the old-school route, and see what he could do with this talented team. And Speedy, you're 100% right with the playoffs and all that stuff with his uh, playoff record, which shows some cracks and dents in it, and I get it. But I just think this team is too talented. Barring any type of uh, suspensions for any players, this team will be a 100-win type uh, team again, or very, very close to it. Because you still have the pitching, yeah. You lost Garrett Cole, but you still have the other pitchers who are ready and capable of stepping up. Justin Verlander is still i i, I feel like Justin Verlander is just getting better with age. So,
2: I get Lance McCullers back this year. Yeah, today. and you get helps.
1: McCullers back too. I mean, he's no Garrett Cole, but he's a, hes a solidified arm in that starting Red rotation. Healthy. Yes, that could only help them and bring them to the next level. So, again, do I think? It was a bad move, no, but I again I love the move. I love the old school approach. I love Dusty Baker, except for his postseason success. But He's that's a, a f- big
2: problem. If you're gonna have any success, you want a guy that with postseason success. And I always say that Yeah, in- but
1: you just brought up a guy that doesn't have any managerial experience, period.
2: But here's my thing negative Inexperience is not necessarily negative experience. And Dusty Baker
1: But it's not necessarily positive experience. We,
2: right, but we don't know yet. If it doesn't work, they'll fire him after a couple of years too, and then they'll try to experiment again. I'd rather have that than a guy that's failed with three different talented teams. I don't know what the Giants were before that. I know they went they went to the World Series in 02, but I know they had some talent on that team as well. But the the Cubs, really talented, the Reds talented and the nationals they've been talented for a while until obviously they had some losses but that that roster in 2016 and 2017 were they had some injury issues throughout the year but they were pretty healthy when the playoffs came around and they didn't win again and that kept stinging them for a while and two years with dusty baker they still they were collapsing they still didn't win those key games and a lot of them were his managerial decisions in those key games so i don't like it when it comes to a negative experience thing, you just don't see all these coaches just finally, after three different samples of that. If it was just with the Cubs, I would understand. Like, all right, maybe it was the Cubs mantra, the Cubs pressure, anything like that. But he did it. He tried again with two other teams, and it still didn't work. I, at what point do you say, all right, this guy's just not a big game manager?
1: Well, I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see. How this all plays out? You don't think it's a good move? I think it's I think it's a very 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 good move for the Houston Astros. But it looks like we have our first caller of the day. Who am I speaking with? Oh jeez, hold on. Lou?
2: No, something's off again. What happened? Uh, whoever's calling, uh. We're going to have to go to break because I had to fix this. The broadcast button's back off again.
1: Gotcha. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it. We do have to go take a quick break. And the caller, will you please call back? We were going to get into uh, the Super Bowl and all that good stuff when we come back here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You, you, you are listening to the Third and Long Show. And here's your hosts, Matty Capps and Katie Hepburn.
1: 1-845-478-3272 is the number to reach us here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to step away from the Kobe Bryant talk. We're going to step away from the Dusty Baker becoming the new manager. And now where what are we? Five days away, Speedy, from uh the Super Bowl? Six days away? Five days away? Five. Five days away from Super Bowl. What number? 40. 54. 54. Super Bowl. Fifty four is down in Miami right now where our fearless leader, Mr. Errol Marks, is there on Radio Row doing his whatever he's gotta do for the network. But we do have our first caller of the day. Who am I speaking with? It's
3: yes, How are you?
1: Beav, what's going on, pal?
3: Not much. I think I a chance to talk about this because obviously with the whole Kobe situation and everything. Now do you like what the Mets did with Rojas as naming him the manager, or no?
1: Do I like it? I yeah. am not a big fan of it. And the right. reason why I say that is because he has no experience whatsoever of being a manager.
3: Okay,
1: but neither did Beltran. So uh, uh, and again, I never liked that to begin with either. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. Buck Showalter would have been the perfect answer to your prayers. I, I have a high respect for Buck Walter and what he's done as a manager. I have high respect for how he manages the game of baseball. He's becoming more analytic-ridden, which is a good thing because that's what baseball is nowadays. I, I, I'm not a big fan of just throwing someone into the managerial position with no experience. Now, I, I haven't done my big-time due diligence on Louis Rojas or whatever, but I do know that he was like the bench coach or something for them, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, I'll yeah, look up the position like exactly. It, was, it wasn't a position that is normal. It was it was something newer that was invented for other teams too just recently.
1: Yeah. He, well, he, he was, let's say, oh, quality control coach yes, for the 2019 season. He was. I mean, I look at it like this. There's nothing that really jumps out of, off the page for me. That would make me think that he's going to be successful. It's the same thing in the NFL. Do I think Joe Judge is going to be successful? Nothing jumps off the page for me that makes me think he is going to be successful.
2: Yeah, quality control coach dives into film study and scouting work. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, but
1: that stuff could just take you so far. But again, there were other managers there. Obviously, Dusty Baker is now off the board. Dusty Baker was sitting there too. Do I think he could have been a, a better answer? Yes. Um, that that other guy, who was that other bench coach that I liked? That actually um, was he from the Giants? The, the yeah,
2: you liked him, I didn't.
1: Yes, I liked the uh, the bench coach for the San Francisco Giants. I, I know it started with a B. Yeah, I don't. Remember I just don't remember that. his name. Um, but Louis Rojas, there's nothing that makes me think that he's going to change the the culture. That's going to make me change. What I think about the garbage from Queens, and right now, in my opinion, there's still the garbage from Queens.
3: Well, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't like it either, and I didn't want Beltran to be with anyway. You all, everyone knows I wanted Girardi. That was the manager that, that should have got. I mean, but, you know, with that whole Beltran situation, I mean, they should have, like you said, they should have let the Baltimore Walter or maybe give Wally Backman a shot.
1: Wally Backman. That, that, that would have that. That been an interesting move. I wouldn't minded that. That would have been an interesting move. Just because of how fierce and fiery he is when it, when it, when he's a manager and stuff, especially when he got thrown out picking up that base and yeah. whatnot. Um, I mean, I I, I would have took Wally Backman over this guy Louis Rojas. That's one thing for sure. But when you have other yeah. when you have other guys that have shown over and over again that they can manage in the major leagues, like Dusty Baker at that time, like Joe Girardi at that time, like Buck Showalter at that time, and you just go away from them, it. it it just kinda shows what kind of culture the New York Mets are. And and right now um, it, it shows they that they're they not they a they winning culture. What's they up? They had to do with fans,
3: babies. They had to do with fans because they know within twenty days pitchers and catchers are reporting and they had no managers so they had to make a quick right decision.
1: Yeah, but I mean, but but let me ask you this do you think this was the right decision?
3: I don't I don't think it was the right decision,
1: no. Okay. So so there you go, and I'm I mean, sure a lot of people didn't think it was the right decision. I don't think I mean, it's the they, right, I, I, right decision. I,
3: I've talked to some Mets fans, obviously, and, they, and they, they like to move, and, and I'll, I, mean, I told them I don't like it because, I mean... I don't
2: mind it. I, I think his experience with the younger players, I think, will definitely help, and that's a big key now to managing in today's game. That's why managers are getting younger as a whole. He managed Class A, I think Double A, in the Mets farm system. So he knows a lot of those players, especially the younger ones. So that, that will help. And, le- and I'm reading it now quality control coach. What it is, is, is charting different situations. Now this is specifically for football, the one I'm reading, but I feel like it'll be applicable for baseball too. different situations, uh, alignments with the way formations are, which help, which will help against shifts, uh, knowing how how to hit against shifts, knowing how to shift your own players, which will help a Mets team that doesn't have good defensive players anyway, position player defenses. So I think that will end up helping as well. So him getting into those analytics, which I think the Mets could definitely get a spark with, being more – they've been more trying to micromanage at times, but they sometimes don't do the right things with defense. They don't do the right things with situational hitting. That kind of thing could – definitely help. Now game strategy with any new manager is a wild card and that's what I don't know if it'll work but in terms of those two things, I think it can work.
1: I, I mean, could it work? It could absolutely work. The the garbage cook from Queens could win the World Series after April like they normally do and they could maybe have a successful season and make the playoffs but again, it doesn't help that they are in the toughest division in baseball at the current moment.
2: But I yeah. think that would have mattered no matter who the manager
1: and, was. And all the are, other teams above them, besides the Miami Marlins, got better.
2: We know that, but they would have gotten better with an experienced manager too. That,
1: but, but, that that, but, but, that's my, but that's my point.
2: So but, I think them trying to experiment with something new to maybe get a competitive edge while those teams maybe trying to rely on talent could help. Because the Mets aren't going to win with raw talent because their talent is – star-driven at at points, but they're not very deep. They're good in some areas. They have some good hitters, but again, they're always hurt, and a lot of the veterans, they're injury-prone. The bullpen, maybe it's better, I don't know, but it's still the Mets' bullpen, so probably not. So they're trying to get it through something fresh, something new. The Braves tried that with Brian Snicker at the time when they were a bad team, and they were rebuilding. It worked for them. Now Brian Snicker's a really good manager. National's they tried it with a younger, they tried a younger manager and Dave Martinez. After so many experienced managers didn't work there. Sometimes it happens. Inexperience is not negative experience. Now, will it work automatically? I don't know because you're right. The division is tough, but the division would be tough with an, uh, an experienced manager too. So I don't mind them trying a gamble for it. Was it my primary choice? No. I, I told you the same thing for the Astros. I wanted Bogar, but that him in the organization already does help a little bit. His, their history with familiarity hasn't been good, so I do worry about that. But it helps with the younger players for sure, and the kind of coach he was is definitely something that could help with a strategy standpoint.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how much he's going to help the younger players. I, I really, I really don't, I don't see it at all with this guy. So I'm just, I mean, to me, the key for the Mets is if, if they are both in, can pitch well and. It all depends on how well Cespedes is going to play. That's going to be the two keys to the Mets. If they make the
2: playoffs or if they don't. Well, Cespedes, I think you have to expect was only going to be a small factor anyway.
1: But are you confident in them in making the playoffs this season, knowing what what no, people are in that no, division not, and
2: whatnot? I'm
3: not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not confident at all. No,
2: I'm not either. But I'm not. I was going to be confident, not confident, no matter who the manager was.
3: I mean, they still got a good pitching staff. I mean, if they line up to stay healthy, that they can put runs on the board, and it's all going to depend on how they both pitch.
1: I think it's going to be.
3: And can, Diaz, and, can, and can Diaz be that dominant closer? Because look at how many games he blew last year for them.
1: Agreed. Look! Look how many! Look how much! Look how many! You were leading seventy percent of the games after the seventh inning that you guys blew it.
3: Like it was, yeah, they lost the games after yeah. the seventh inning,
1: right? Yes. Yeah. That, that, that's, no, that's what no I'm saying. You guys blew if, it.
3: If if, if the bullpen can stay healthy and pitch well, and Diaz can get back to what he was. Might
1: have a shot of making the playoffs, but I don't see it. Well, again, don't. I, 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 it doesn't matter who the manager was or whatnot. I don't I didn't see them making the playoffs this season anyway. Because again, of yeah. who's in front of them and all the teams yeah. getting better, the Phillies are going to make the playoffs this season. Joe Girardi adding him, adding Wheeler, adding Didi Gregorius. They they're go they're in a win now type mode going for well, that. I know,
3: I Washington has a good team, but to me, they
2: overachieve next year. Yeah, we'll see. They'll still be competitive. They're
1: well. still going to be good. That pitching staff is still really, 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 really good.
3: But I mean, I mean, look at them—the first half of baseball season, how bad they were. They were all of a
1: sudden, they were. Oh well, like yeah, but sin. but that's baseball. It's all—it's a 162-game season. You don't need to be the best at the beginning. If you get to the playoffs, you could be the you could be the hottest team getting into the playoffs, and boom, you're the World Series champions, nope. like the Washington yeah, exactly. Nationals. Nobody
2: nobody's locking them in as a playoff team, but they're still going to be a competitive team regardless. The, sec- no, I'm not the second second wild card, the first wild card team, might come from a different division, but they're still going to be a competitive no. team.
3: I'm just saying they overachieve because no, no no one no one picked them to be there anyway. But no, you're right. They're still, like, still going to be very competitive. And yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I, don't, I don't even know what the over and under is for the Mets. I think it's 86 maybe. 86, I I haven't even looked yet. High. I'm surprised it would be. I high. I
1: haven't even looked yet. I I I don't know.
3: I, I, think, it's, I, I think it's 86. Uh, if you have a chance, look that up. I, I believe it's 86 when They have them pre- predicted
1: really 86 Wow, eighty-six. Wow no, 86 hmm. That that that's an yeah, interesting it is. it's
2: 86.5
1: Wow let me let, let me look National yeah. League Wow 86.5 It was an 85 86.5
2: 86 and a half Six?
1: 86 and a half, yeah,
3: that and a half. So... Wow yeah, that, that's pretty high
1: yeah, you're telling me that it, that is pretty high.
3: <laughs> All the betting man, I take the under on that because I don't see them winning 86 games. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: you know what? I don't see them winning 86 games either, just because I I history shows that they don't. Yeah. So again, I uh, I don't I don't see it happening. But again, yeah, but again,
3: I I don't I don't, I don't like the. That's with the manager, and that's even a two
0: years down the drain for them.
1: to wait on. Well, that well, that's the whole thing. I, I mean, you look at it. <laughs> who who is going to be the manager after Rojas yeah. and stuff like it? It's just not an easy task. And again, with yeah. uh, I'm I'm going to keep reiterating it. That division is going is the toughest division in baseball at the moment. It yeah. doesn't get easy. And you got to, Speedy, how many times do you play your division opponents? 20, I think it's 19. 19 <laughs> times each. So you do 19 times three. Nine times three, 27. Four. Four. 19 times four. Okay. Well, no, I'm not counting the Miami oh, Marlins okay. because you should you should beat them. So <laughs> I'm not counting them. If you do 19 times three, 27, two, you face them 117 times. No, 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 no. I can't do that. No, draw. that's
2: 57. Yeah,
1: 57. 57 times you face, you face division opponents, and that's not even counting the Miami Marlins, who you guys do lose to once in a while.
2: In I'll Miami, go. yeah, sometimes. Yeah,
1: so, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's crazy to think that it can go all the way down to that, and I, that, I, again, I regardless of who the manager was, it, it wouldn't have mattered because you aren't making the playoffs this season. I will be utterly shocked If you guys make the playoffs this season. Utterly shocked. Yeah. I mean if they're gonna make
3: the playoffs, they're gonna have to win ninety something games. You have a shot at getting in the playoffs. Well, not really. If they get the wild card, but even that you'll probably have
2: to win ninety games for that, too. Yeah. National League is well rounded besides the West, which I think is the Dodgers and it's a big drop-off after that. I know the Diamondbacks improved, but it's a pretty big drop-off after that. The other two divisions are pretty competitive. The Pirates are bad and the Marlins are bad. We know that. The other four teams in each of those divisions are going to be competitive. So it's going to be very tough for the Mets. And, yeah, right now I think they're
3: still fourth in that division.
1: Yeah. Hey, t- yeah, well, they're fourth. To, I
3: just want to, to, to get your opinion on that. Oh, that was
1: pretty much all yeah. I like had. Well, B, thanks for calling, bro. You got it, man. I'll
3: talk to you guys soon. Have a better.
1: good one. Well, that was the B from Bayshore. And uh, he he just wanted his opinion on the garbage from Queens, a.k.a. the New York Mets, on their new manager hire, which, again, I don't like the move. Speedy doesn't mind the move. Or did you not like it?
2: I, I don't mind it. I don't okay. think, considering the circumstances, I think if I were to judge, obviously without knowing about the cheating stuff, I would, if I were to say who would you rather have as a manager between Beltron and Luis Rojas, I'd say Beltron. But I don't think. It's a bad move considering what his role was before. I didn't know much about what the role was, but looking at it now, that's a good thing to help. Maybe I could I could trust him more in game strategy. Obviously, that's still a wild card how to manage these new players because he didn't manage all of them in the major uh, major leagues, the minor leagues. But it does help that situationally, I think he'll be in comparison to other new managers. They could have gotten a little more prepared with the analytics.
1: Yep. Well, ladies and gentlemen. Tomorrow is going to be a Super Bowl-laden show. That is one thing for sure. I'm not going to really get into stuff now because then that's just going to be it for our show. So tomorrow, Speedy and I are going to break down everything that you need to know for Super Bowl 54 between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers that takes place this Sunday in Miami. But yes, tomorrow is going to be a Super Bowl-laden show. We're going to go through the ins and outs and then... You guessed it, our final pickem of the year.
2: The last
1: Of the season. Of the season, not the year, because we start again last. in about nine months. The
2: last day of the board.
1: Last day of the board. It better be some good drawings on this board.
2: Well, there's more room. There's only two teams. Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> but, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be it for our show here at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.